0: Good morning. And for those of you that are joining us online, thanks for checking in with us. We're excited that you are with us. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're struggling with in our world today is just good news. It just seems like every t- everywhere we turn, we have bad news. But here's the thing. We're going to talk about good news today. And the other word that Scripture uses for good news is the gospel. And how is the gospel, how is that good news? Well, the gospel is good news because it can give us a hope when we face sickness, heartache, and even death, right? Uh, When we go to the doctor's office and the doctor says the diagnosis isn't good or it's sketchy, we don't know what to think. That's where the gospel comes in and gives us hope. It can bring us that hope when we need it. Secondly, the gospel sets us free and can heal our relationships because it changes us and it gives us a new perspective on things. And it's we we don't even know sometimes we'll see this in the passage we're looking at that we're in bondage, and we are. And when we get set free, we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. The gospel sets us free, but the gospel can also help us. To be all that God designed us to be. Uh, it makes sense that when we connect with our creator that, and, and we yield our lives to him, that we begin to develop and become all that he designed us to be. And so the gospel is good news because it helps us be what we, what we were designed to be. We find meaning and purpose and all those other things that we desperately need in life. The other thing is the gospel helps us to see ourselves as we really are. Not too good but not too bad. And what I mean by that is this, is the gospel helps us to see that we're sinners, that we have a capacity within us to say and do very hurtful and harmful things to other people, that we are sinners and we need help and we can't save ourselves. But on the other hand, there were sons and daughters of the king at the same time. So we can't get a big head because we know we're a sinner, but we also don't, walk around with their head down all the time thinking that we're the worst person in the world because the God of the universe says you're his son, you're his daughter. That's good news. So we want to talk about how the gospel, how the good news encounters three different people in the passages in Acts. And it has, it has the same effect on each one, but they're from very different walks of life. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter sixteen, and I'm going to start reading at verse thirteen, and we're going to see these three different encounters with the gospel. It's it's very interesting. Uh, Acts sixteen. I'm going to start reading verse thirteen. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, we have to understand that in, in the first century, they would gather many times in a synagogue, and that's where Christians would gather sometimes. But there was no place for that. There was no, obviously, there was no synagogue or place to meet there, so they couldn't do that at this point. So they would meet by the river. We sat down, and so there's some women who have gathered by the river. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of them listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. What we know about Lydia is that she was a businesswoman. She was probably upper class because she was a dealer of purple cloth. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and me, but it meant something in that day. If you, if you know anything about the first century, they didn't have a lot of textiles. They didn't have a lot a color palette to work with. It wasn't Project Runway, okay? It was like, if you had purple cloth, that was cool. That was great, it was rich, it was luxurious. You didn't dye things back then. You just wore drab things. So she was well off, and she was somebody who was in the, the, the garment market. Now notice the other thing it says about her, she was a worshipper of God. They have a phrase where they use they talk to about god-fearers. God-fearers were those people that were had open hearts and open minds to God. They were looking for God. They had a belief that there was a superior power out there, but they just didn't know who it was. Now some people are closed-minded. They say there is no God. There is, no, there is no spiritual world. There is only the material world. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who say, I believe there is a higher power. I believe there is a God. I believe there is someone out there. This is Lydia. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and her, the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her house. So immediately, and we're gonna see this, and by the way, we're gonna have a couple of baptisms today. Three of them, actually. And uh, when we do this, you'll see what that's all about. But let's just say this. One of the things that is true in the first century, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because he gave his life to you, and you give your life to him, and you are one of his followers, the first thing is you identify with him, and you identify through the waters of baptism. That's how you do it. And so immediately, and we see this in Acts 2, we see this with the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, now we see it with Lydia and her house that the first thing they want to do is get baptized, and uh, that's what happens. And then she says this, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now this is very interesting. So she was wealthy, she was upper class, She was God-fearing. She was that person that everybody would look at in the neighborhood and say, that's a really good person. That's a really nice person. That's a real, you know, that is a person. If anybody deserves to, if there's a heaven, if anybody deserves to go, it's her. And yet she still needed Jesus. Now, she wanted to turn her house into a ministry center. She wanted to use her home because there weren't a lot of large spaces for gatherings. Like, we're in a large space where we gather. Do you realize that the early church, and when I talk about the church, I'm talking about people, not a building. We talk about church buildings. Buildings aren't the church, buildings are just places where the people gather together who are the church. We are the church. Now, They gathered many times, like I said, in the synagogue, but when they couldn't, they would meet outside or by the river. Lydia basically says, I want my house to be a ministry center. I want it to be used for God. I want people to be refreshed and encouraged. And by the way, we do that today. We, oh, I was gonna say, so the first building, church building was like AD 300, that's 300 years. Think back 300 years from right now. What do you know about anything? Not a lot, right? It seems like ancient times, right? So 300 years after like, all of this took place in Christianity, uh, in the book of Acts, they, now you kind of have a building starting to show up, or one hundred and seventy, you know, 270 years or somewhere around there. So you basically are having church buildings built. They didn't have buildings. They met in homes. They were home churches. They were smaller groups. We think small groups are really important. That's why we have them here. We think that sitting in rows facing forward is a good thing. It's not a bad thing in a sense that you're able to hear and we're able to gather together, but there's really not a lot of interaction. But what happens in a small group is there are people there that know your name. They know what you're going through. They know you've just been to the hospital or just gotten back. They know that you've been sick. They know that you twisted your ankle. They know that your son or your daughter's not doing well. They know that you're your uh, husband just asked you for a divorce they know what's going on in your life and and they pray for you they're there for you they love you they care about you they know you and you know them that's the community that we're talking about and and some of you are part of this community but you're kind of like you're kind of like watching from the outside if you ever want to take that step and become part of the community real community it's when you take a step into a life group, a small group. And that's really kind of how the early church began, in a small group. All right, so that's the first encounter. And, and that was an encounter with the gospel, uh, and it was at a personal encounter. And Peter, or Peter does, I guess I said that before, Paul, does a great job because he sees these women. By the way, women in the first century were overlooked. They were insignificant. They weren't good witnesses in court. At least that's what they were seen as. It wasn't true that they weren't. Uh, they were the first ones at a tomb, which makes the Gospels really sound real because you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that. That wasn't like the best testimony in that day. But Paul sits down with them and and it's kind of a give and take interaction with them. So that's the first encounter. The second one is very interesting. Look at verse 16. We see a slave girl and we see a power encounter. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, when we uh, we were met by a female slave who had the spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now let's just stop there. So this is a young girl who is a slave. She's owned by masters, and she is some demon-possessed. And there was, a, the, the whole, there was a whole Greek thing about demon possession, and, and some use the phrase where we get our word ventriloquist because they would have ungodly sounds when they spoke. And, you know, if you've seen any of the horror movies where you see the little girl and she's demon possessed and she has this, you know, this, you know, this on, you know, unearthly voice, that's pretty accurate to what was going on in the first century. So imagine this little girl is walking around and here's what she says. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved she kept this up for many days. So day after day after day, she is saying this about Paul and Silas and, and, and Luke and Timothy saying, these men are, are of God. Now, let me just stop for a moment and say this to you. The enemy, the demons, probably have a better theology than you. They believe absolutely in God. They believe in Jesus Christ, in his his death, burial, and his resurrection. They believe that he's coming back again. They believe that he's all-powerful, the creator of the heavens and the earth. They believe all of that. They, They believe it. They just don't want to be any part of it. They have a better theology than you and me. I mean, this girl, everything she's saying is absolutely true. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, let me ask you this. Some of you were thinking when you heard this, and you were reading about this, Paul Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're walking around every day and they're sharing the good news, and there's this demon-possessed girl saying in in an utterly hell-filled voice, you know you know these are you know i'm not even going to imitate it but they're doing that don't you think the first time she does it you go okay enough of this right wouldn't you do that would you go oh there she is again okay we have to listen to that for like you know all day long and then you come out the next day finally paul gets so annoyed he's not moved with compassion he's annoyed I don't think that's right. Right? Don't you think it would have been better if Paul had shown... Listen, he sits down with these women by the river. Paul knocked it out of the park. Paul had a bad day. He actually had a bad number of days. So finally, out of annoyance, he casts the demon out of her. He said, I can't take it anymore. What, why you wait so long? What I love about the, 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 the Bible is it shows... The Bible characters, with all their flaws, with all their failures, they mess up all the time, just like you and me. Because some of you have this performance idea that if we mess up, God won't love me or I failed God or something. Read the Bible. Read David. Just read through King David, and that'll get you started. Paul was Saul, right? Enough said. I want to tell you, though, there's we're thinking of Halloween, which is one of the most celebrated holidays in America. There is evil in the world. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have seen it in your families. Some of you have been exposed to evil, just evil. It's amazing to me that in America, we celebrate Halloween with skulls and corpses, and witches and warlocks. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, here we go. Pastor Matt's going to be the killjoy. He's going to tell me that, you know, I need to take all the tombstones out of my yard. Well, you know, I don't know. (sighs) No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you to take the the new thing they have now where they have the web coming down off your house to the ground with a big spider on it i'm not going to tell you to take it off your house i have no idea why you have it on your house and why they, you know i i get dressing up like someone else is fun for your kids and that but can we be honest you've driven around and you've seen some of the yards and you go there is an obsession with evil i mean it there's nothing good you don't see like good things in the art, like dead things and, and evil things, and, and it's being celebrated. There's a part of me that goes, do we see this as probably not a good thing? I'm just saying, sorry, all right. So now you're going to go home and you're going to take all your, your things down. I didn't tell you to do that, but I would like you to wrestle with it a little bit. Um, here's the thing. So they set this slave girl free, and what happens? Well, there's a problem, because she was a moneymaker for her her masters. Now that she couldn't do any of the things that she could do before, uh, all of a sudden now, she is... So they basically... We don't have time to read it, but basically what's going to happen is the owners are going to go to the authorities. The authorities are going to take Paul and, and Silas, and they're going to beat the crap out of them with rods. And they beat them mercilessly. They just beat the crap out of them. I know I use the word crap. I'm so sorry. Um, but they did. They just beat them up. They were, I mean, they... I asked this at the last service and I wanna I, I wanna be careful that I'm gonna ask it again, so don't raise your hand if this hasn't happened to you. Has anyone been beaten with a rod and left I mean just beat up really, really hard with rods? And I had somebody in the front row raise their hand quickly and the parent pulled their hand out <laughs> and it came to me afterwards and said, Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> it's it's like the kid in school that the teacher asks the question, and the kid flips the hand up before they know the answer, and the teacher says, "Do you know, no, I just, just thought I'd flip my hand up. Just, I just did that. But, it, you know, the parents is like, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, here's the thing. They are beaten left for dead. I mean, they're just, and the, the, the guard we're going to see next, the prison guard, the, the, uh, the, the warden, It takes them and chains them up in a a dark, wet, cold prison cell. Okay? Um, So let's look at that jailer now. So that's a power encounter. First, it's a personal encounter. Second, it's a power encounter. Number three, it's a compassionate encounter. So Paul and Silas are in jail. About midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. What? What? I'm sorry. What? If I was beaten up, like they were beaten up, I would not be singing hymns. I would be laying there going something like, oh, oh, oh. I would be moaning. I'd be groaning. I would they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them suddenly there was a violent earthquake the foundations of the prison were shaken all at once the prison doors flew open get that foundations change you know the the, the latch is open the door is a keister it pops open but then everyone's chains come loose okay now we got more than just an earthquake though the earthquake is fortuitous right the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Some of you don't understand why that's the case. If you were the guard over the prison and your prisoners escaped, immediately it meant you were dead. So the jailer basically says, better if I take my own life than if somebody does it because who knows how they're going to do it, right? But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now let's just stop for a minute. This jailer offered them no relief. He didn't bandage their wounds. He didn't care for them. He did just put chains on them and threw them in a cell. He had no compassion at all for them. And Paul and Barnabas could have walked out, Paul and Silas could have walked out of the cell. They could have had a mass exodus out of the prisons and they would have been free. But they remained there. They showed compassion for somebody who showed no compassion for them. And it moved the jailer. And he says... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, you need to be baptized, you need to go to church, you need to believe in God, you need to live a good life. No, it doesn't say any of that. Did I read it? It said, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. Why do we add to the gospel? Why do we add to the good news? Why do we make it harder for people? The gospel is very simple. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Finally, he shows compassion. What he should have done sooner, he does now. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. So, Lydia, upper class. The demon-possessed little girl, slave, lower class. This, this guy, Philippian jailer, probably middle class, probably a retired Roman soldier who is over this, this jail. Um, he's about to kill himself. He showed no mercy, but mercy was shown to him. And he asked a great question, What must I do to be saved? You see, the gospel, the good news has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not, you don't add anything to it. So that's our first century understanding of the passage. Now let's talk about the 21st century today. What difference does it mean today? And so there's three lessons that we can take from it for our lives today it's good that we could walk away and understand kind of what was happening the power encounters of the gospel to Lydia the slave girl and to the Philippian jailer but what difference what difference does it make in our life and so there's three things number one we all need the gospel whether you're upper middle or lower class whether you're from America or from South America or from Asia or from Russia or China or, or Europe or South uh, A- Africa, wherever you're from, we all need the gospel. It doesn't matter where you were born geographically. We all need the gospel. Now, here's what we tend to do. We tend to think that some people are already in because they're such good people. If that were the case, Lydia would already be in. But she wasn't she still needed the gospel and we do this and i see this all the time at funerals and i understand this but people say well they they were did this and they helped out here and they, they it's almost like they're 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 writing a resume and and i get why they do it but sometimes the the, the 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 we're supposed to say well because they were so good they must be in heaven let me just say this you'll never get to heaven based upon your own good works That's why the Savior of the world got off of his throne and became a man and took the form of a servant, giving his life on the cross. He died so so that you could live. He gave his life so that you could be forgiven. Um, If he didn't have to come, then he wasted his life. He wasted his time. He had to come because we're sinners in need of a Savior. And what I'm afraid of is sometimes people say, they're good enough. They don't need the gospel. Jesus really came just for the bad people. No, Jesus came for everyone. We're all sinners. There's only one person ever born on this earth that didn't need a Savior. He was the Savior. And then sometimes we say, well, they're too far gone. We would look and say, well, that slave girl, there's no hope for her. Oh, yes, there is. And you may be here and say, I, I, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know how much I've sinned. You don't know how much i failed. I don't, but I, t- I do know this, that God can still save you. I think of Paul, who used to be Saul, who persecuted the church, who brought people in, put them in prisons, and had them executed. And now he is a different person. Some would have looked at, at Saul and said, there's no hope for Saul. But There was. And he became one of the people who wrote most of our New, uh, New Testament letters. We all need the gospel, no matter uh, what, what your needs are. Jesus can meet us. Uh, he, 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 he can meet a rich woman who is doing well and is fearing God. He can meet a slave girl who is in bondage, spiritual bondage. He can meet a, a middle-class man who's just doing his job. Secondly, the gospel connects us to his community. The gospel unites people from all walks of life and all nations and cultures that we're all placed in one family, one community. We're all members of one body. You know, some people think that Christianity is just a white person's religion. It's not. It's not. Far be it, it's, it's not even close. It didn't begin in America. Uh, let me give you some statistics. Um, Africa has 600 million Christians. Latin America, 600 million. Europe, 550 million. Asia, 400 million. North America, 230 million. Oceania, 25 million. Christianity is all around the world from all walks of life. Whether you're rich, you're middle class, or you're poor, whether you were, you were raised in a, in, a, in a culture in India, or Africa, or Asia, or Europe, it doesn't matter. Whether you're white or black or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your, your home. And the amazing thing about it is it brings people from such radically different cultures together into one family, into one body, sons and daughters. When we get to heaven, you're going to look around and you're going to see people from all walks of life from all nations of the world who all bow down to the same Lord, Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing. Only the gospel can set you free and give you joy. How in the world do you sing when your body's beaten so badly? How do you do that? How do you sing when you go to the doctor's office and the doctor says, I see something, we need to do tests. How do you sing when your spouse comes to you and says, I want a divorce? How do you sing when your kids are struggling, when your grandkids are struggling? How do you sing? Well, if your hope is in this life and that everything is going to work out here and now, it's very hard to sing that song, isn't it? But when you say, but I'm following one who has overcome this world, who gives me the hope, not just in this life, but in the next life, that he's in control and he has a plan and he has a purpose, I can sing because he raises me above the waves, the current, and the storms of this world. He meets me in those storms and he says, I'm there I have a plan. I'll be with you. And not only that, I understand what you're going through. I get it. I get betrayal. I get physical pain. I get physical pain. I get it when your family doesn't get you. And they think you're nuts. I get it. It's interesting about the slave girl. What's interesting to me is The jailer, from the world's perspective, was the one who was free. Paul and Silas were prisoners. They were singing, right? But spiritually speaking, Paul and Silas, though they were beaten, were free. The jailer was in spiritual bondage. The little girl was in spiritual bondage. Lydia Was in spiritual bondage. And here's the thing about spiritual bondage you can't see it in yourself. You can't see it until the day that Christ sets you free. And then you see it. And then you have that aha moment where you go, Oh, I was a slave, I was held captive but now I'm free. My perspective was covered and now it's opened and I see like I never saw before. Some of you can testify to that freedom, right? You know the day that Christ set you free and it changed your whole trajectory of life. It changed everything. Jesus said this. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, Now a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son, a daughter, belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus is saying is when God comes into your life, when you... Give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ because he gave his life to you. When you do that, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is you move from spiritual slavery to freedom. You move from being a servant to being a family member, a son and a daughter. Everything changes. What's interesting is the first thing that Lydia did with her people was get baptized. The first thing the Philippian jailer did at night got baptized. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were it and were baptized. The, the Ethiopian eunuch, when he was riding the chariot with Philip, he says, there's water over there, let's get baptized. What's this baptism all about? Well, it was identification with Jesus Christ. You know, here's what happened. On the cross, there was nobody that stood up for Jesus except the other criminal at the end. He says, you know, we both deserve to be here, but he's done nothing wrong. Even his mother was quiet and understandably so. But all of his disciples had fled. Everyone left. Everyone fled. And here's what happens at baptism. At baptism, you as a believer say, I belong to him. He's, I'm on his team. I'm following him. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. You know, at the cross, nobody was there for Jesus. But here's what happens at baptism. Your faith goes public. You basically say, I'm one of his followers. I'm counted with him. Even though no one else will be counted with him, I will be. I belong to him. And that's what baptism is all about. That's why we're having baptisms here. Lydia and her house, the Philippian jailer and their house, the first step of obedience for a Christian is to be baptized. And so people are coming today to identify with Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. All baptism does is show people you are saved. So I want to pray, and then Mark's going to come up, and we're going to have a baptism. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples, these encounters of the gospel, the personal encounter with Lydia, the powerful encounter with the slave girl, and Father, the, the encounter with a Philippian jailer, uh, thank you for these, these uh, people that are coming forward to identify with Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that this would be a major spiritual step in their lives, and I pray that, uh, that we would uh, affirm them and encourage them in this spiritual step. And we pray that through all of this, you would be glorified. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.